is total dominance across the board by the Texas Longhorns. And, Frank, out of the gates, I want you to help us understand what happened here. Well, that is the million-dollar question. This is two two games in a row when Utah has it's, – it's some co- combination of underperforming and being outplayed. And the, Texas – I mean, this, this is two games in a row now where – Utah got beaten in the spot where you just can't get beaten, right right at the line of scrimmage. So you get beaten at the line of scrimmage, and then everything else, the domino effect, everything else starts to fall apart a little bit. And it fell apart at the quarterback position for Utah. Tyler Huntley looked like he was rattled and could, could never, just never got comfortable in the game. Uh... It's it's a it's another game where Tyler Huntley has I I think too many rushes rushing attempts in the game. Part of those designed most of those scrambling. He and Zach Moss end up with the same number of rushing attempts, sixteen in the game. Uh, and and getting you know kind of getting gashed on the defensive side again. This is a team that was averaging about 50 yards a game in rush defense. They gave up well over 200 yards, on 231 yards to be exact, on the ground. 6.2 yards per carry. We, we knew looks that... Looks a lot like Oregon's numbers. Looks a lot like Oregon's numbers. We knew that Texas was, going, was a team that's based in the run, foundation in the run, I didn't think they'd have this much success. I thought Utah would be able to slow down that rushing attack a little bit more. And and even though the passing game looked at, at times really good for Texas, they only threw the ball for 200 yards. In terms of passing in today's game, that's average-ish, you know, kind of 200 yards. I would rather give up, you know, 300 or 400 yards in the passing game and limit a team to under 100 yards in the rushing game. Like Utah had done most, oh, of, the most of the year. Mm-hmm. So, so to give up 231 yards on the ground, that's, that's really difficult, really difficult to overcome. And my heavens, they made, they made the linebacker from Texas, Osai, look like an All-American. 46 was all over the field making plays, and he harassed... Tyler Huntley and Tyler Huntley took a beating, a beating tonight. So I'm not sure if you can say that Utah was not engaged in the game, not prepared for the game, you know, disappointed about not being in the playoff or in a Rose Bowl or all of those sorts of things. Or if you just say the truth is Texas outplayed Utah. Second second time, second game in a row mm-hmm. where it feels like Utah got outplayed. Felt like outcoached, outplayed, outphysicaled. Really, so many different phases of the game. And I've got so many different emotions with this Utah football team. And I'm kind of following this thread between, you remember Brad Clifford? Sure, absolutely. Utah tight end. And, of course, everybody remembers Eric Weddle, uh, Utah safety and really all-around guy for the University of Utah. Brad Clifford tweeted out and said, what's happening? This performance makes it really hard to listen to people say that this is the best Utah team in the last two decades. And Eric Weddle responded and he said, they're not. And Brad said, brother, you and I both heard a lot of disrespect to my 2008 team this year. And Eric said, that team was better than 4 And he said, I don't know. And Brad said, I don't know what team's better, but both are the two best teams in history. And I responded, I interjected, because, you know, and I, I, never, I never proclaimed that this was the best team in school history. I certainly felt like it was one of the best. And... The finish to this season makes me feel like I was hoodwinked just a little bit. Like, I, I was, it was smoke and mirrors. 
And so I responded. I said, I got caught in the eight-game win streak that included shutouts, blowouts, excellent play calling, big sacks, big picks, and total dominance. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that are responding saying, I don't understand how you guys didn't see this. You're supposed to be analysts and experts. You're supposed to know what you're talking about. How did you not know that Oregon was going to destroy him, Texas was going to destroy him? Okay, you take an eight-game sample size where in there, I know it's not the best teams in the country. You know, it's supposed to be the Pac-12. It's supposed to be the best teams in the West. But they kick it off by beating Washington State 38-13. to a Washington State team that they'd struggled with in the past, and they get a nice 38-13 to win. They destroy Oregon State on the road 52-7. to And then they've got number 17 Arizona State at Rice-Eccles Stadium. They beat them 21-3. to And as we talked about, they allowed 20 yards passing from that Arizona State team. Completely mm-hmm. destroyed their offense. Then they followed that up with a shutout against Cal. They gave up exactly zero points against Cal. Beat them 35 nothing. Cal was squeezed. I, they were just pressured and squeezed. Then they took on a pretty good Washington team in Seattle in a very difficult environment against a, a Chris Peterson-led and coached team. And at the time, Washington looked to be better than they ended up being. But they beat them, 33-28. to Good road win. Then they destroyed UCLA, held UCLA to three points, beat them 49-3. to And at that point, we were all kind of looking around like – Oh man, this is Hundley looks really good. And this team, Moss is just destroying people. And they're choking them out defensively. This is the best defense in Utah's history. You had to proclaim that. Like you're you're looking at this defense just destroying teams. They followed up with a 35 to 7 win against Arizona. They put 45 points on Colorado and beat them 45 to 15. And going into that game against Oregon, it looked like they were a dominant team. Going into this game against Texas, you would think, oh, they're going to rebound from that ugly Oregon loss and get back to that eight-game dominating team. They didn't. They didn't. So, Frank, you tell me, were the eight games, including the Washington game and the Arizona State, a complete aberration? Were Were they a complete hoodwink? Here's what I think. This, I don't know, this may be hard for people to take. The Texas team that played tonight would have run through the the schedule that Utah ran through this year in the Pac-12. The Texas team that played Utah tonight would would walk through that Pac-12 schedule, you know, 8-1, and 9-0. So, but and 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 then you look at Texas, Texas, Texas schedule this year, uh, and and the way Utah's played the past couple weeks, who knows how they would have gone through that same Texas schedule? I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of, I've, I asked you the question a couple times during the during the game, and I am now second guessing what we saw all year long. Because of the last two performances, but <laughs> is is the Pac-12 that down? That's what I'm wondering. The level of We're, competition was it was Arizona State and Arizona State different. got a win tonight against Florida State. Flo- uh, yeah, I think Florida State was terrible, and they play in the ACC, and I think the ACC is not great. Right, I I would agree with that. Outside of Clemson, and Clemson's fantastic. And Washington, you know, they definitely had their bumps in the road, but I, I'm the one that I called that. I was the color analyst of that Washington B- BSU game. Thanks for inviting me to the booth. I was sitting in the stands for that game. Oh, were you really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, you, you didn't want to know that. I think that's the, you didn't want to know that. I did want to know. And you by the way. You just didn't let me know. That's probably true. By the way, Washington, that, okay, so Washington, it should be an upper echelon Pac-12 school playing a Mountain West school. That's, that You should always win that game. The Pac-12 should always win that game. And they did. And they did, and it was... And that's a, that was, was better than normal Boise State team. Yeah, but I... 
I mean, I think that's a very beatable Boise State team, the way that I saw them play against Washington. Well, right now the Pac-12, uh, you know, if you exclude this game, they're, they're, they were 3-2. and two So they're 3-3 three and three now. In bowl games. They go in 3-3. Three and three. Yeah, yeah, and the, the Big 12 was 0-4. Yeah, the Big 12 hadn't won a bowl game. <laughs> I, I don't know what to think I, here. I don't know it's, what to think either. I, I guess I'm Jeez. kind of at a, a loss for words here because – I did get pulled into this eight-game win streak, and I did get pulled into the fact that these Pac-12 teams could hardly put up three or seven points on this defense. Now, I know they were without Jalen Johnson, and they were without Julian Blackman, and they were without Hubert, and I know that they might have been lacking in depth a little bit, but I thought the motivation would be there. I thought the preparation would certainly be there. It's a Kyle Whittingham coach team. I thought the preparation would be there. So this performance is pretty disgusting to me. I, I felt like there was a lack of motivation. I also felt like there was a lack of physicality. Texas was getting up and giving the extra push. Typically, it's Utah giving the extra push. Texas was getting up and they were getting the extra push. When the official's back was turned, you know they're giving the shove. They're holding a guy down on the ground. And they were being overly physical tonight against Utah. And I don't know if they watch the Oregon film and they're like, oh, that's how you beat them. They're going to get physical. You have to get more physical if you want a chance to beat this Utah team. And so they got more physical. You know, you talked about the trench and and I think it's a two-part series between Utah's offensive line and Tyler Huntley. I think think there are two parts to this. And and I'll have to go back and, and really analyze what was going on. It looked like it was typically it was a base four man rush from Texas. It didn't, yeah, it, it, you know there were times where it felt like they were bringing twenty four to twenty. There were times when they stacked it up on, on a little a bit. I know there were times I, that they I stacked think, up. I'm they pretty were, sure I saw Tom Herman rushing once. <laughs> there, were times, there were times it did feel like that at times, and there were times they they definitely brought five and tried to provide the pressure. But there were also times that the interior of the pocket was open and Huntley settled his feet too far back and wasn't stepping directly into the pocket and releasing inside that two count on a timing route or dumping off to a quick flat or hot, which you brought this up, Frank. There were multiple times this year in that eight-game stretch where Huntley made the read and threw the ball. I've got 25 video reviews of examples of that exactly him doing it against Arizona State him doing it against Washington him doing it against Arizona where the pressure would come he would take a shuffle step up in the pocket never leave his never take his eyes off the 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 the, the field and he would just release it and then you brought up a good point okay so the pressure's coming well, stop trying to tuck your head and do everything. Just throw it out the back of the end zone. Because now you're taking big hits and you're taking big losses. Sometimes quarterbacks just have to take a sack. You want your offensive line to understand what's happening here? Go into half and have him given up four sacks. Show it that's under a two count. And then say, what do you expect me to do? I'm, I'm, I'm literally taking a sack because these guys can't, these guys can't hold a pocket. So, it's there's so many different things to be frustrated about in this game. I felt like all year Tyler was really at his best when he was the point guard of the offense, and it was distributed, give it to the other guys, like we talked about checkdowns. Without ever a thought of running. And tonight it felt like he tried to James Harden his way into this game and just make all the shots. Wait, you meant carry the ball over and, and travel every time he went down the court? That too. James does that. I, I mean, he did try to... <laughs> James does that. He did try so, to carry the ball a lot tonight. I yeah. think, you know, to follow up on your on your point, Brian, Tyler Huntley made this incredible transformation after the USC loss. He, it felt like he had, he understood everything that was happening on the field. Everything was under control. And in that stretch between USC and the loss at Oregon, I don't think he ran the ball more than five times in a game. In fact, I'm 99% sure that's the case. Mm-hmm. That includes designed quarterback runs and scrambles. 
you get to Oregon, and and Tyler Huntley got rattled a little bit, and it it didn't feel like he he had the game under control, like he understood what was going on around him all the time, and he tried to do everything on his own. He wasn't he didn't rely on offensive line as much. I started dropping early. He didn't find his dump off to Zach Moss or Brumfield or whoever was in the backfield. Correct. And then and I'm glad that you're seeing the same things I'm seeing here. It's, yeah, it, the stats actually back you up 100% on this. So in the USC game he had 18 rushes. The next week against Washington he had 6. The week afterwards Oregon State he had 3. Four against Arizona State, one against Cal, seven against Washington, four against UCLA, four against Arizona, then ten against Colorado, and fourteen against Oregon. It's right there in the sixteen tonight. Sixteen tonight. And and so uh, he he wasn't able to take that that same step after the Oregon lost until tonight, when the same thing started to occur. I mean, you you can never fault the effort. Of Tyler Huntley, I mean, they're, they're, that's a guy who wants to win every time he steps on the field, and he's going to give, he's going to, he's going to sacrifice his body, everything he has at, in every play. He's going to, you know, all the desire and grit and everything. He has all of that. There's no question about that. But he got, he it f- felt like he got rattled, and he couldn't get himself, or or the coaching staff couldn't get him settled into the game. And and what I mean by that is the stuff that you're talking about hands is you open up the the, the pocket kind of opens up you get some rush on the edge and instead of just sliding up a couple steps or sliding left or right a Correct. couple steps keeping your eyes downfield finding that dump off it was almost immediate the yes. eyes the, you could you could see it yep. helmet drop eyes drop Focus on the line of scrimmage. At that point, you're you're done. You can't. There's not a chance to to then pick your head up and find your yep your guy. Yep, your dump off. The ball was tucked and and he was there he was, was running around. It's it's surprising to me the many, as many hits he took tonight that he didn't he didn't get hurt in the game. I mean, he got beaten up. There was one instance in particular, and I know you guys will remember this because I was screaming at the top of my lungs to throw the freaking ball. You're down in the red zone, I think on the 10-yard line or 8-yard line or something. You take the snap. It's a quick three-step. You've got time, but things start to collapse. Routes don't open. So Tyler Huntley drops his head, goes to scramble, brings both the linebackers forward. I mean, both linebackers converge right at him. But there's a soft pocket. You know, you got the speed rushes that go out on the outside. The interior held well. You bring both those middle linebackers up, and instead of trying to fire it into the end zone, you try to run for it, and you take a hit, and it's a tackle for a loss It's a, or it's a sack. I can't remember how exactly that play worked out. I think it might have been a third down. But you have both the linebackers who step up. They're like, oh, well, we got to step Bring those eyes up, find one of your targets that's sitting in some type of dig route and fire it down low. Where on, and, and I don't feel like his accuracy was there. Outside mm. of the touchdown pass that was dropped over the top that was well-placed, there were quite a few passes that, that weren't placed where they needed to be. So it just wasn't the performance from Tyler Huntley you needed. Now, I know I'm missing on – getting after some of these Utah offensive linemen. And, and I'll, I'll do that. It's harder to do that on the fly because it takes film evaluation before you can really jump down the throat of some of these offensive linemen. I can tell you that there were penalties that were uh, unbelievable, you know, false starts and those types of things. But I do need to go back and, and give some evaluation because there was a pressure given up. But, man, I wanted to see – I wanted to see the Tyler Huntley you saw through those eight games. And you needed to see that, Tyler Huntley. And one thing about when you're talking with the offensive line, when you're used to being able to pass protect against a quarterback who's staying in the pocket, that's different than one who's trying to push the edge and get outside and, and run away from the football. And I think you saw that a lot of times where you'd see the offensive lineman trying to push guys and they'd almost push them right into right Tyler. Into 
and that's it, it's not you can't make an excuse for the offensive line, but it just shows how far off page they got from yeah. that eight game stretch, like you were talking about. Well, uh, Brian brings up a really good point, Frank, and you can bring the quarterback's perspective on this. But as an offensive center or as an offensive guard, those are the two positions that I played at the professional level, so I've got a better understanding of those than anything. Um, you have an understanding of, they call it the half shell or they call it the egg. It's it's the design and set of the pocket. So if I've got a center that's working with me as a guard or I've got a running back that's chipping on the inside or a running back that's responsible for middle linebacker, I know that I've got middle support either from my center or from my running back. Or if Mike is called away from me and I'm backside guard, I know that I might have an island. I've got a man on. And if I'm setting man on, I'm protecting my inside shoulder, and I want to push him wide. If, if he's going to get a rush, he's going to go to the outside. So I have certain mindsets of the way I'm setting a pocket. And we're coached to set a pocket a certain way. So I'm setting that pocket a certain way. If I've got a quarterback that's mixing into the lanes where I'm trying to push my defender that's getting the rush, and I'm trying to wash him, instead of stepping away from that wash and up into the pocket and releasing the ball, you're stepping into the wash right where into- I'm trying to take my, yeah. my defender. Absolutely. and. And that's a problem. And as the casual fan is watching, all they're seeing is, oh my gosh, the Pressure. offensive line guy let him go. Yeah. And it's like, no, no. You're, you're, you're trying to wash him. Yeah. You're, like you're trying that, to push him out of the lane and, and, and allow a vertical pocket. It's a vertical pocket. It happens all the time. In the league, every level, it's a vertical pocket. Guard gets on an island. He gets he, he wants to protect the inside shoulder first. He's letting that defensive tackle rush to the outside. Now put your hand on the hip, push him wide, let the quarterback step inside. And 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 also, you gotta understand that you've got a double team on the play side. That's where the strength should be. That's where the pocket should be set, where a quarterback can set set up inside. He's got to understand where that double team's coming so he can feel the freedom to settle in that pocket after he avoids a lane rush. And and it just wasn't there tonight. No, it wasn't. And, it, you know, credit to Texas for, for bringing it and, and, and coaching their guys up. Tom Herman is now 4-0 in bowl games since he's been at Texas. But, you know, I'm watching some of the replays on the screen here from the game, and it's just it, – it just doesn't look like a Utah effort. It looks disconnected. It looks like there's tons of mistakes that are happening out there. We saw Max Tupai get into it with Sam Ellinger, and you really haven't seen that kind of attitude all year long from Utah where it was just so much frustration. And, and you saw it on the fourth down play where they ran uh, – Tyler on the on the QB run to the outside and he got tackled three yards shy of the first oh down. My gosh, and he yeah. pops up and he's throwing his fists down and, and angry and frustrated and it just that was to start the second half. Yeah, it just feels like that that was not the same team that we watched for most of the season this year. So many disappointing moments. You know, you go back to the first quarter of that game and you've got a third and fourth situation and Devontae Henry Cole slips out of the backfield and gets himself into a soft scenario where he can catch a a dump down and he could take it 35, 40 yards, get himself all the way down to the 20. You know, probably best case for Texas would be a 20. And he dropped the pass. That's a pass that he took for a touchdown against USC. Yeah, and he just dropped the pass. Then you give up a 71-yard punt return to give Texas a start on, what was it, a five- or six-yard line? And Texas quickly scores on that on that play off of an RPO. You know, you, you come back out of half, and nothing looks like it's changed. Tyler Huntley's still not throwing downfield. He's still tucking the ball. They, they try that quarterback option that Brian was just talking about on a fourth and one. And after that fourth and one was defeated, Texas takes it right down the field on, what was it, Frank, maybe four, five plays? Four, four or five plays. Four or five and, plays, yeah. And and scores. And that's a dagger. You stop a team on a fourth and one, and then you take it four or five plays for a touchdown? Oh, come on. It's That's, that's game. That's game. Texas had 12 chunk plays this game. They had six passing Six six plays that were over 15 yards and six plays over 10 yards rushing. 
And I don't know if I've seen Utah give up that many chunk plays ever. Yeah. Like that's a lot. That's and it's I mean it's not like 15, 10, 12. It's 17-yard rush, 15-yard rush, 31-yard rush, 10-yard rush, 20-yard rush, 49-yard rush, you know, and then passing plays, 34, 23, 40, 15, 37, 15. We saw Texas attack the middle right off the bat, uh, throwing to uh, Colin Johnson, you know, who's – and the hard part about this is that we've seen a great Utah team do great things all year long. This is a Texas team that has – Top five talent, you know, they, they bring in yeah. tremendous recruiting classes. Colin Johnson's a six six target. Like, there's not a single guy on Utah's team right now that can match up with his athleticism and ability. It was but a dom- still. dominating win for Texas, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, if you're just tuning in, Texas really dominated from the outset. They got the win 38-10. to 10. Frank, tell me, it, as far as the defensive deficiency – where was Texas hurting Utah the most? Where where were the biggest open gaps, the biggest holes? What was happening with Utah's defense? Well, it it looked like it was all over the place. Uh, Ellinger was really good about avoiding avoiding the rush, and and finding people downfield. He, I mean, he only threw for two hundred and one yards. That's not huge, but he was 12 of 18, super efficient, and he's 11.2 yards average, three touchdowns and the one kind of crazy interception at the end there. Uh, so that's, that's an issue. He was super efficient in the passing game. He was able to avoid taking a sack. Uh, and, and Utah didn't collab- quite collapse the pocket like we're used to seeing. Uh, at the line of scrimmage, uh, Ingram goes for 103 yards on 13 or 108 yards on 13 carries, over eight yards per carry, inside outside. Ellinger is the second leading rusher. He was great in the rush game. 11 carries, 73 yards, 6.6 yards per carry, and Roshan Johnson six carries, 49 yards, 8.2 yards average. So those are the top three rushers. So, so two rushers over eight yards. And per carry. and that wasn't that wasn't like. We kept. We didn't keep saying, "Oh, look at Texas hitting the edge." Well, they did hit the edge, and we weren't saying, "Well, Texas just taking it right up the." Yeah, they did take it up the gut. I mean, it was. It was that one of those things that that Utah's been so good at the at the line of scrimmage this year, and they've been so good at containing a quarterback like a Daniels from. Arizona State, like a Montez from Colorado. Eason, even Eason from Washington. I mean, they've just contained these guys. And and they, it's like everything kind of fell apart right right at right up front. I I I I keep trying to think about, well, did you know, was the loss of Julian Blackman that significant? Maybe that was maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of it. And and Jalen Johnson not playing in that game. I mean, Duvernay ends up with three catches, but for ninety-two yards and a touchdown. Colin Johnson has three catches for sixty-two yards. So so the loss of those two guys is that that significant? I don't know. But 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 the problem is we've talked a lot about the offense. They only score ten points. It's never going to win a game. In a, in a contest like this, they were completely ineffective, didn't run the ball like they, they have, weren't efficient in the passing game. But on the other side of the ball, this is a Utah defense that gave up 38, 38 points. And like Brian just said, 12 chunk plays mm-hmm. in the game. This is a this is a bend-don't-break philosophy defense. Like they'll give a little bit, give a little bit, and then they stonewall people. <laughs> but we never got to the point where they stonewalled somebody. They didn't force them out of drives often enough. I felt like Texas did a really good job of getting Devin Duvernay looks when they needed him to get looks. And I would say that there are a couple of different examples of this, but you caught Javelin Guidry in a press man, basically island situation out of the slot. And one in particular in that touchdown throw where you didn't bracket, you didn't double, 
You didn't chip. You didn't put an outside linebacker into zone, force force Duvernay into the zone and then outside. You you didn't do those things, and maybe you did, and Texas did a good job of going to Colin Johnson mm-hmm. or finding Keontae Ingram out of the backfield or you know finding one of the other receivers to target, but when they really needed it, they needed some of those hits. The run game forced Utah to do some things into the box and utilize those extra defenders, but they caught Utah in a man-on situation two or three times with Duvernay, and the result was nearly 100 yards of receiving. So you find Javelin Guidry in a man-on situation, and people are like, well, it was good coverage. But here's the problem. When you man on the best receiver in the nation – He's going to fight off the press, and he's going to create that little separation when the ball is just at a certain distance that only he can get to the ball, and he's going to get that separation. You can glove him, and he's going to one-arm catch it like you saw him one-arm catch it. He did. I mean, the the coverage was pretty good. It was good. That's absolutely good, but... Against that guy, it needs to be great. But this was, that's why you got to bracket it. This yeah. was his lowest number of catches in a game all season long by far. They they held him to three yeah. receptions, yeah, and, and he's, he's had been six averaging, more. Yeah, well, yeah. but but it also felt like Texas didn't need to go to him, and it almost felt like Texas was like, "Oh, you better cover him, better cover him, better cover him." And then as soon as they caught him in a certain defensive look, they hit him for a big number. So he had three catches for ninety-two yards. One went for forty. So the other two went for somewhere around 25. So you tell me he's got three catches and all three are 20 plus? Is that right? Or did he have another large chunk? He had a 40 yard catch and. He went 40, 37, and then the 15 yard touchdown at the end of the game. Yeah. And, you know, another interesting stat as I look across this uh, Texas only ran 56 plays in the game. I mean that's not like that's not an enormous number of plays in a game. 56 56 plays. Uh Utah ends up running well only 60 plays in the game. But in those 56 plays Texas only ends up with nine third down situations. And they can they they convert almost half of those four out of the nine they convert. So they they weren't even getting into third. I mean, Utah defensively, that's their thing, is you get people to third down, and then you force the the turn. You force the turnover. You force a punt. You force the team to give up the ball, and and Utah just struggled getting Texas to that third down situation. On the other side, Utah had fourteen third down situations, and they only converted four times. I mean, the third down conversions were awful tonight. And that's one of those, you know, that to me, that's one of those key stats. What was the? Th- th- the third down conversions, the ability to keep a drive alive, the ability to get out of a drive. What was the number? Utah was only 4 of 14 on third down conversions tonight, but they gave up 4 of 9. But that's the other thing. The more can important I, thing is I, that I, Texas, Utah only got Texas to, to third down nine times in the game. Help me understand what's going on with the short yardage play calling. I hate to second guess Andy Ludwig because I, I we haven't had to do it all year. No, I feel like he's been brilliant, but help me understand what was going on in short yardage play calling in the last two games, really. In fact, I'll I'll take you to a moment where it's fourth and one, and Frank leans over to me and he said, "The quarterback better not run this stinking ball." <laughs> And you, and it was it was five seconds, maybe ten seconds before the snap. This quarterback better not run this ball. And I and I said I agree. You're less than a yard. You've got Zach Moss on the field. If Umana can't get just a little bit of push with Braden Daniels, or if you want to force on the other side with Nick Ford, if, if they can't do it, get get somebody in there that can. Because if you just get a little push and a little edge, Moss is going to get you a half yard. Mm-hmm. Instead, you try QB keeping it. Off the edge against a very fast Texas team, <laughs> they just closed the edge off to, to the short side of the field too. I mean, you, you had an oh extra. It's like you have an extra defender over there. Just so, and, and we saw on that exact play that Keithy and Fotheringham were 
wide open in the flat if they wanted it. Yeah. That's the part that – my thing with short yardage is don't pigeonhole yourself into one option. Give yourself opportunities. And I believe that in short yardage, at, on the goal line, you know, give yourself options to go through so if a defense commits to one, you can go to the other. And, and we just – we never saw that. Like play action has been so successful for this team all year long – why not run it on fourth down? What's what's the holdup there? Was it that they didn't feel like they could keep the pressure? I don't know. Well, the build and design looked like it's, it was an RPO, but it couldn't have been an RPO because he never lifted his head. He pulled it from the stomach of Moss and went to go off the edge and never lifted his head. Yeah, and neither Keithy nor Fotheringham, who were on that short side, went out and ran a route. Right. Which, if it's no. an RPO, true RPO, no. they should be out there. They should, should be, be breaking in. Yeah, yeah that, that seems like the more reasonable. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's – it's a lot easier to sit here and say, well, this is what we think they should have done. And, and in those scenarios, it looked like, yeah, you know, let's, let's run that. Let's run more of, even if it's more of a true zone read. I, I like the straight option, a straight speed option in that situation if you're going to run something like that. You know, a shotgun, put, bring yeah, it downhill. Yeah, put, but, put, but, put someone in a bind or a true play action, roll out, run pass option get yeah, somebody in the flat in front of you and i will give texas credit they they did stout sh- up on four, for on sure. short yardage they stouted up absolutely and I, we saw utah was running all stack formations they weren't spreading the defense out and at one point texas brought nine into the box and just overcame gaps on a maybe a third and short i can't remember the exact play but you know what play i'm talking about and overcame the gaps and got another tfl how much do you feel like in those third down, you know, even fourth down situation, there was only one that Utah went for. But in, in down near the goal line, how much do you feel like Texas said, your best opportunity to beat us is in the run game. We don't believe you can beat us in the passing game. So we're loading up on the it, run. It felt like there was a lot of that. It, it felt, felt like there was a yeah. ton of that. Uh, the the way they controlled the outside lanes tells me exactly that. Yeah. The, the outside linebackers weren't worried about dropping into any zones. They weren't worried about chipping off Keithy. They weren't worried about that. So I'm surprised that they didn't force them more to worry about that. How many times was Keithy, Keithy targeted? Three, I think he only three? had three catches. He only had three catches. Yeah, three catches. Fotheringham had three catches. So th- did the tight ends they combined for six? Six, six catches. Well, then yeah. maybe you know maybe they were trying to force those ends, those outside linebackers to respect it. Maybe they maybe they're trying know, to chip I know, them. In. I know Texas is athletic. They're super athletic. That was a big worry, you know, coming into this one. USC's athletic, super athletic. Oregon super athletic. Texas super athletic. I, I, I got to tell you guys. The, the way they were converging, Frank, that's, it, 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 that, it tells me that there were percentage tell signs. Exactly. That there that, was game planning percentage tell signs. That's what I'm saying, is that even though they're super athletic, there's no way that they're getting there that quickly just on athleticism alone. Like, they had to, they had to, there, there had to be something, a tell. A tell there is. That... That they were keying, and then all of a sudden, when you said, it looks like they're rushing 20 guys. Yeah. There was, it felt like there was 24 guys in the backfield. Uh, Brian, how many TFLs did they have tonight? How many TFLs did Texas end up with? I don't know if you got the defensive stats in front of you. But I will tell you that Texas, we talked about this, the amount of money that they dump into their athletic program. They've got guys just sitting around analyzing percentages. 13. That's a lot. Woo! Wait. No, no, no. No, 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 no. For this game, not the season. Tackles for loss in this game. Five sacks? Oh. 13 TFLs, five sacks. So we talk about like the chunk plays given up by the Utah defense. TFLs and sacks are essentially chunk plays on the offense. Wait a second. Same thing. Oregon had how many tackles for loss? Nine. Nine tackles for loss for Oregon in the championship game. There's, there's thirteen th- tackles for loss. There's a hand being tipped here. Osai had six. Osai looked like a, like he was the best player in the country tonight. There's a hand being tipped. Yeah. Well, and it, 
I think what happened is that you watched the games where Utah struggled, USC, Oregon, now Texas. The recipe on the short yardage and everything is the same. Stuff it up the middle, bring your safeties on the outside, and, and crash them hard because Utah's not going to be able to either get through. You know, I, I don't want to so, harp on players specifically, but the interior of the Utah offensive line was very disappointing. And what's weird is you've got play-action pop plays that should be able to capitalize off that. You should be able to sneak tight ends and, and get quick pops or throw Moss off the outside and, and get quick pops into the flats. And if these guys are going to converge and they're going to read Ludwig's offenses and formations, and if they're going to roll the dice and gamble on this and say, no, we're going to just come up and converge on the run, well, d- do more to force them out of it. Throw a streak backside to Jalen Dixon. Well, who, I mean, he was getting free all game long, he and Samson both. It, it wasn't like – they weren't open, and we even heard it with Lewis Riddick on the plate on, on the mm-hmm. play-by-play, where he said there were receivers open. There were receivers open. Tyler's not letting the routes get there or letting his eyes see it. So, Frank, <laughs> I, I think that there is some self-evaluation that needs to go on after these last two games. It, it feels like their hand has been tipped. When you're talking about 13, when you're talking about a total of 22 TFLs through two games. Mm-hmm. 22 TFLs. Let me just look at my stats. Let me look at my numbers here. 22 TFLs through two games. You've you've shown your hand. Something's and and a lot of those are are happening on on third and shorts or fourth and shorts. A lot of those are happening on your short yardage play calling. So, yeah. So. Yeah, that's disheartening and frustrating. That, that ends drives. That destroys momentum. In this in this game, sacks and tackles for loss accounted for a minus eighty nine yards for Utah. Utah went backwards eighty nine yards on sacks and tackles for loss in that game. Wow, that's hard to believe right there. That is hard to believe. That is a dominant performance by a Texas defense that ranked as the 108th defense in the country. Coming into this game, Texas was number 70 in the country in TFLs per game. This is not a, a this is not a team that was known defensively to get sacks in TFLs. In fact, look at this. So they had 22 sacks on the season. 22 sacks in 12 games coming into this game. That's less than a sack. That's less than two sacks a game. And they end up with five sacks in this game? And how many TFLs? 13? 13. Well, I, I, I think that that tells you a lot right there. And, and I do think it's a combination of offensive line and, and your quarterback play. It, it really is. It's a, it's a combination. You know, I, I know I'm going after Tyler Huntley a little bit, and I know I could go after this offensive line a little bit. It's a, it's a, it's a definite combination. And then you throw in the fact that Texas has great athletes – yeah, it's a, it's a bad combination. It's a bad combination. That's what that is. You know, one thing I, I would like to see, and, and it's hard because the, the broadcast doesn't show you. The, the view I really like of the field is, you know, the camera right up on top of everything. So you can see the whole, the whole field. You can see everything unfold. And what we, the thing that we didn't get to see or don't get to see on the, on the national broadcast is how are the, how are the routes unfolding downfield? So, you know, t- t- Tyler was had a, had a rough night. I'm really curious if everything was just completely covered up. I'm not sure I believe that's the case all the time, but I would like to see how how Texas defended Utah's route structure, and if guys were just covered if Tyler was actually going through progressions and just there was just nobody there 
and you just don't get that you don't necessarily get that sense because they don't show that wide angle mm-hmm. on the broadcast um, that would be something interesting to, to take a look at if the if or what percentage people were just covered up and there you 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 couldn't make a play downfield we saw a couple looks and from that from the vantage point we saw you know may, it looked like you could have pulled the trigger and hit something downfield same thing sidestep a rush slide up into the pocket a little bit and hit something downfield i think we saw a couple times uh the ability to dump the ball off but but tyler's eyes weren't focused on that area but i still i would still like to see that how how that unfolded and then there were times that the pocket just completely broke down yeah you know there were there were there were definite times where the pocket was complete mush Hans Olsen, Frank Dolce, it's your Utah postgame show. We're going to come back from this break. You're going to hear from Kyle Whittingham and a couple of closing thoughts. It's your Utah postgame show. Utah losing this one to Texas, 38-10. to We'll give you more next. Simpkins with the catch, the senior playing his final game, his high school teammate, delivered the ball perfectly. Plenty of analysis both on the offensive and defensive sides by Frank Dolce, myself, Hans Olsen. You can catch it on podcast. We'll have it posted probably, what, 30 minutes after the show? 20, 30, 40, hour, hour and a half. Five minutes. Well, five minutes. What are you talking? What? Going I don't, I don't want to put any pressure on Brian back there. Five so, minutes. Five minutes after the show's complete, uh, and you can go back and listen to our take. We've come a long way from the very first show that the three of us ever did together. <laughs> yeah, there's no question about well, it. It was Wait. a good thing that Hans was off location, so he didn't strangle me. Oh, no. You've, long, you've yeah, been well, I got the brunt of it, okay? Oh, come on. I, no, I didn't, that's why you're my favorite, Frank. It, I didn't even remember it like a man. Hey. Uh, let me ask you a question. Okay, go ahead. I know you. Were you going to say something? No, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, please. How would we feel about? Okay, this is a Utah football team now that goes eleven and three, right? Eleven and three. Yeah. At some point, are we going to look back on? I have several questions. I guess at some point, are we going to look back on this season and say, "Wow, eleven and three? That's a darn good year." Okay, that's one question. Next question. Let's just say that Utah goes through the football season and they lose to USC and they and they lose to Washington and they lose to Arizona State. But then they get into a bowl game and they win. The, the scenario isn't quite perfect because you don't get the championship game in that scenario. But, but you, you end up with a Utah team that goes – at this at that point now 10 and 3 mm-hmm. wins a bowl game loses 3 games in the regular season 10 and 3 versus a Utah team that gets into the championship game loses gets into a good bowl game against a, a quality opponent loses do we feel any differently about those teams? A ten and three team that kind of very kinda, differently. I know. Yeah, very differently. Isn't that strange? Because the records are analogous. Yeah. Uh and and but maybe Utah wins a bowl game. Like maybe Utah plays in 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 the Las Vegas bowl and and they beat a Boise State team. And then do people feel better about the team rather than the team that goes to the championship game and wins and and, and loses in I guess the second second highest bowl game available for the Pac-12? No, I th- there's completely different feelings, but this is uh, epic letdown. This is letdown of epic proportions for Utah fans. And uh, th- eventually you're going to look back. Anytime you have a team that represents your division as a divisional champ in a championship game, you have to look back at it and say, man, that was a really good team. But this team is going to have an asterisk on it of, man, but that team was a real letdown. Five years down the road, is that what we're going to think about this team? Yeah, excellent team, but a real letdown. Yeah. 
I had a team like that at BYU. I played on a team like that at BYU. Where was we, it the well, I think we were like eight and zero. Was it the bib jersey? Eight and one. And then just how come you're not responding to when I say was it the bib jersey? You just are trying to detour me, and I'm not going to let you do it. We're like eight and zero, eight and one. We were cruising, and then we lost like three of the last five. And a bad including taste, including the bowl game. Bad taste in your mouth. What was your final? What was your final record? Oh, uh, maybe ten, ten and three. Um, ten and two. Ten and three. That would have been something like that. Uh, been nine and three or so. Nine and three. Ten and three. Yeah, yeah. somewhere. Yeah, in nine. And, yeah, yeah. And but it was but, it, but, but it was an epic letdown. But it was a bad nine and three. Because so you we, can we were a, on we were on a roll and we were thinking, oh man, this this <laughs> we are gonna. And then Wyoming, I think it was Wyoming knocked us off our tracks. Yeah. Well, we're the cow- like cowboys will do that. What cowboys will do that? Maybe we get all confused with that yellow and brown. But then you come back and you're like, well, we're going to regroup and we're going to be okay. And then you no. don't regroup and you're not okay. And it's like, no, oh, this is no. So and you finish like, like you know, you fill up one of those funny clown balloons and you and you got it and it's long. And then all of a sudden you lose a game and you let that thing go and it goes in the air and just. And deflates and falls on the ground. Oh, falls flat. Yeah, that yeah. that was so. That was that season for me. Isn't that funny about sports? And that's this season. You could have a ten and three. You could potentially have a ten and three season where you lose three in conference games. You feel pretty good about yourself because you you win a bowl game. And you can have an eleven three season when you lose your champion a championship game and a bowl game, and you feel pretty bad about yourself. Yeah, it is. It's that's sports for you, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, it is. What it's, have you? It's the what have you done for me lately? Well, as bad as Utah fans might feel, as bad as this all looks, I can't imagine how this team is feeling in the locker room, and I also can't imagine how Kyle Whittingham's feeling. Kyle Whittingham took to the podium after this went final. Here's Kyle. Texas might be the best seven and five team in the country. At least talent was. I guess eight and five. transcribing offside. To know who is speaking when talking to the coach. Okay, uh, pretty much give you the same summary that I gave a football team in the locker room that I've been saying. Very disappointing ending to a very good season in football. And this team won 11 games when you judge the entire body of work. Throughout the course of the season, uh, these things, these guys accomplished some, some very good things. Um, you know, the senior class obviously is not the way we wanted to send them out. But uh, in the last two football games, we got outplayed, we got outcoached. And so we've got to figure out our problems and go back to work, uh, get better, improve, and continue to, to improve in all areas. But uh, does not tarnish in one, one, uh, one iota what the uh, senior class accomplishes. These guys have left their mark on Utah football. The third highest win total in uh, Utah football history. And keep in mind the other two win totals were in a different conference at a different time. Way, way different. This is uh, apples and oranges, what these guys did. And so um, as far as regular season and uh, how they handle their business. Uh, proud of each of them. Uh, we're going to have a, a lot of representation from these seniors in the combine. Uh, NFL draft, I mean, these guys are, there's, there's a lot of these guys that have a chance to to uh, play football a long time. The rest of them, they don't get that opportunity. They've all got their degrees or will have their degrees. Uh, and so, like I said, very proud of these guys. And it's a shame we didn't finish stronger. Uh, nobody's happy in our locker room. <laughs> We're all feeling uh, disappointed, but like I said, it's the time of year now where you judge everything, you take a step back, keep things in perspective. <coughs> and understand what you accomplished and what your deficiencies are and what you need to work on now for. So, questions? Uh, Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. For, for Coach and for Zach, um, offensively, especially the first four or five drives, what was really going on out there that you guys couldn't seem to get any traction? I just wasn't able to find a rhythm. Um, we went into solving them in the run game and, uh, you know, trying to uh, reduce some of that blitzing that was they were doing. They were blitzing pretty much 80% uh, of the game. Um, so we tried to 
you know, soften that up, but uh, we weren't able to do that, so, you know, we had some office goals uh, throughout that game. Yeah, Zach hit it right on the head. We, we didn't uh, make a pay for the amount of blitzing they were doing. We, we got to pick it up, and we've got to be able to get the ball down the field and make a pay. We didn't do that. We didn't do that. We want to handle the pressure like we needed to. Uh, they were playing all single cut, and the, the DBs were jumping all the single cuts. We didn't put tech long enough to get some double cuts in there, and we did it. And so uh, that, was really the, that was the theme of the whole evening, was the DBs getting under that pressure. That was for the case of Kyle. It, the whole season you were able to do really well in the offense. Is, was like you just mentioned the offensive line just not being able to pick up the blitzes, or was there something maybe play calling wise or anything else that kind of changed that? You mean the last this particular game? The last two games. Last two games. Well, uh, you know we got the same the plays and you know we just got to. Sorry for the audio there. I know it's kind of tough to hear that, but uh, there you go. Kyle Whittingham at the podium in the postgame here. We'll try to get some better, more clean audio for you as we move forward so that you can kind of get an understanding of what he's feeling, what he's talking about. And it sounded like somebody brought their kid in. And that's what's fun about bowl games. You know, sometimes you get to bring the family in and, and uh, those post games can get a little bit lively. But we apologize for the, the, for the audio. So, Frank, um, you heard some of Kyle Whittingham's thoughts there. He just talked about not forcing Texas out of the blitzing and mm-hmm. not forcing them out of their defensive looks that they were putting out there on the field. W- why? I-, I know that he can come to the, the postgame podium and say it, but th- th- we were watching that game and we were yelling it by the middle of the second quarter as former players and just observers saying – Wait a second. There's there's things that are open off what Texas is doing defensively. Now, force the looks and force them to push out of this. And I don't understand why they didn't. It's, is it's, there it's, is, is, is there a game plan that that's a, put in place? I don't know and, that there's a good answer. You know, sometimes they just don't want to detour. I, I would say I would say this. You know, sometimes as uh, as a broadcaster. You take a lot of time to prepare stuff for the broadcast. You do a lot, you know, you do a lot of research and you're coming up with things and theories and thoughts and ideas and you know, sometimes you take notes of all these things and and then and then you get into the broadcast and um 
and and maybe none of that stuff is relevant anymore. But you've worked so hard <laughs> on putting it all together that even as the game is unfolding, you try and sneak in all this stuff that you worked on because you worked on it, rather than just dealing with what's happening live in front of you. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't want to let go of all this yep. hard work that you did. It's kind of what it felt like, yeah. And 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 deal with the reality. Right, because there was some zone read option offensively out of the gates, and you could tell that there was some different scheming that went into this game, and maybe he just didn't want to vacate it. I, I don't know. I So I'm, I'm always a, a huge fan of 30 carries for Zach Moss. I mean, that's kind of your mark. Let's get Zach Moss 30 carries. And we've seen games this year... Uh, when he didn't get 30 carries, but he was averaging eight yards a carry, and he didn't need to have 30 carries. But we've also seen games where he had a close to that number. Washington comes to mind. He was still only averaging 3.6 yards per carry. But he still controlled the offense. And he still was able to to keep the chains moving. And 3.6 yards is is productivity out of your running back. And and you didn't have to put your quarterback in in difficult situations. And I don't know if if Utah abandoned that strategy or not. But now we're two weeks in a row where where Zach Moss ends up with less than 20 carries in a game. And Huntley ends up with nearly the same amount with, of with, carries. With nearly the same amount of carries. It just feels like as we look back, you know, hindsight that scenario, when that scenario has played out this year three times, USC, Oregon, Texas, those are th- the three losses on the season. Correct. When he's over 15 carries, there's been losses. Yeah. Yeah. And and when Zach Moss isn't the main focus. We've seen games where, Zach, where, where, where Moss is stifled, stifled, stifled. Big run. Another big run. Couple yards here, couple yards there, punishing the defense. Big run, big, and then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, you've worn down the defense. You've worn down the defensive line, and and Zach Moss really starts rolling. Utah takes over, takes over the game, and 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 I don't I, look. I don't know if Utah abandoned that, or if it just wasn't it wasn't what Texas showed on film, or if it's like what you were saying, maybe Utah prepared. Something, something else, and even during the game, it looked like whatever that something else was should have been there, could have been there, whatever the case is, and and they kind of st- stuck with it. But um, it just the, 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 looking back across the season, the formula seemed to be high percentage passing, get get rid of the ball quickly for for Tyler Huntley, lots of Zach Moss punishing the defense in the run game. And and those th- th- those two things just didn't happen in the last couple weeks. And there are lots of factors. There's lots of factors that go into that. If you didn't get to catch the entire Utah postgame show with Frank Dolce, you can go to 1280thezone.com. You'll be able to catch the entire thing here in about five, maybe six minutes. Brian Brown will have it up. He's done a fantastic job all season with the Utah coverage and Utah production. We appreciate him. Big thanks to Frank. Does a fantastic job. In my opinion, the very best in the business when it comes to Utah and football analysis in general. Absolutely a blessing to have in my life. You just are saying that because we both have an affinity for Thai food and pizza. (laughs) And our wives. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Wait, I mean, you have an affinity for your wife and I have an affinity for mine. It's not like we're doing this. We both respect and and love the women in our lives. So we do. We have much in common. Hey, but. Can I just thank? Can I just thank all of you guys for allowing me to 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 jump in here? Uh, no, and, you uh, can't. We, because you, yes, absolutely. The, the thanks you, needs you, to you, come from us. No, to you. no, that's not true. That's not true at all. You allow me to come in and, and be a part of this, and it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not kidding when I say it's a meaningful part of my life. Like throughout this football season, Thursday afternoons. Saturday pregame, postgame, those are things yeah. that I really get excited about and look forward to doing and, and uh, hosting with you guys. So appreciate all of the opportunity. I actually kind of feel 
like you're genuine in that. Like they, I don't think <laughs> I think that there was no sarcasm. There. Was did you get any sarcasm? In that There's no. I felt like that no was sarcasm. for real. It, I know. For that, once, Frank felt sincere. Yeah, it was the strangest thing. It was I can't awesome. Believe it. Holy cow! You said something with sincerity. I'm just. What this, a great way to ring in the new year. Let me just tell you, this happens more often <laughs> than you realize. I get a bad rap. It's my own fault because I am sarcastic 99% of the time, but there is 1% when, <laughs> when I am not. That was the 1%. Well, we appreciate you, Frank. You do a fantastic job. Big thanks to Brian. Big thanks to everybody that makes this post game and these pre games so much fun. We really appreciate it. And keep it tuned here to 97.5, 1280 The Zone. We'll be back with you live on Thursday, and we'll be breaking down this game more as a staff here on The Zone. That's all coming up, 97.5, 12 into The Zone on The Zone Sports Network. Did you know that one in 16 kids will lose a parent before they turn 18? Some of these unfortunate losses result from